Hello, I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, spirituality, wealth, and self-development. Join me in exploring paths to health sovereignty, freedom, and ultimate well-being with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the revolution. Hello, beautiful ones. Welcome back for another episode of the Biohack Your Beauty podcast. Today, we have an amazing show for you. I actually am really, really happy and excited and proud of this episode because it is with one of my dear friends who is just an incredible human being and also just has so much wisdom to share. Before we dive in, I do want to share that we are hosting this incredible masterclass. It is called the Freedom Frequency, and it really is all about frequency medicine and freedom lifestyle. Now, we talk a lot about freedom lifestyle on this podcast, specifically because freedom lifestyle is really congruent with well-being, right? And we often have these very, very strict and rigid time constraints when we are working in hustle culture, when we are working a job that doesn't feel aligned, that doesn't feel like we're able to create balance and uh, time for the things that we love, for the people that we love. And so this is something I've become really passionate about, especially as the host of this podcast is helping people and supporting people in finding multiple streams of income, finding ways to have more time. And so what we've done with Frequency Medicine and with Healy is actually create this beautiful business model where we get to mentor and create a lineage of time freedom, of well-being of healing of wellness and it's just so beautiful to witness and so beautiful to be a part of so if any of that resonates with you if any of that feels aligned please send me a message on instagram i would love to connect with you i'd love to hear more about your story and i'd love to share more about the power of biohacking with frequency All right, so I wanted to introduce Tani. Tani is a transpersonal and somatic therapist who came to psychotherapy through the well-traversed wounded healer's path. I know some of you resonate with that. I definitely do. (laughs) She is very driven to help others achieve greater awareness, authenticity, intimacy, and freedom. She views safe, healing relationships as the foundation of a well-lived life, and she's devoted to understanding and helping folks create healthier and intentional relationships, including the one they have with themselves. So in this episode, we cover so much ground. It is so rich and dense and full of just wisdom and passion and transmissions. Uh, We talk about somatic awareness. We talk about embodiment. We talk about the nervous system, the healing path, and the path to transformation. All right, without further ado, on to the show. Hello, Tani. How are you? Hi, Dora. I'm so excited you're here. I'm excited to be here with you. 
We've been talking about doing this podcast episode for a pretty long time. (laughs) And yeah, there's a lot of things that have been happening in the last few months. And both of us actually had a period of time where we were under the weather, like severely under the weather, mm-hmm. <laughs> but now we've bounced back and we're ready. So, um, yeah, there's no better day than today to talk about all the amazing things that we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. So I'm very excited to talk about a number of different things, but I'd love to start with just asking you about your journey. So, you know, you are a therapist, but you specialize in transpersonal and somatic depth work. And I'd love to know a little bit about what led you here and about the work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, It's always a hard question to answer because it's one of those things where it feels like almost the only path that I could be on. You know, like there were so many things that led to this space. So I could tell you this story or tell you that story. But um, I think, you know, a part of the big things were I started in the culinary world, I guess, in a certain way. Um, I went to culinary school. I was really into making chocolates and herbs and food and and interested in how food affects your mood. Um, and that brought me more to mental health, emotional health. Uh, but even younger than that, <laughs> uh, I was always really interested in how humans worked and how connection worked and how sometimes uh, connection is really hard and I couldn't understand it for myself. And I was always really interested in sexuality um, and just intimacy in all of the different ways. Um, And so, yeah, there were a couple of different arenas that really led me in the direction of uh, psychotherapy and psychology. And then the third area too, so I guess body food, is also the psyche. My experience with my grandmother was very transpersonal. She was like this bohemian mystic uh, woman who came from uh, a background where her mother was uh, Jewish but hid it. uh, became Catholic and um, and then my grandmother just kind of delved into art and creativity and tarot and astrology and very you know not, not that common uh, in certain ways especially for the time and I grew up with her as like a third parent for me so that was like the world of the unconscious like the oceanic depths and then there's all these other pieces and so um yeah, I think it just naturally brought me here to this space. Amazing. And when you talk about transpersonal, what does that mean? Transpersonal means to me um, the experience of um, soulful connection or something more than flesh, like not just the egoic, not that there's any issue with ego, but not just the I, as, as Martin Buber, the philosopher, would talk about, like the I experience or versus the transpersonal which I see is I and thou like the bigger than just the flesh more than flesh whether that's our experience with um you know the ocean or plants or animals or each other when we're really able to sink down into realness of just like oh I feel you I feel your heart right now 
Um, sometimes people call that experience soulful or experience with higher self, deeper self, God. But to me, that that's what transpersonal really embodies. Mm. And so you mentioned soul connection and the body. And I know you've really talked about, we've talked about at least together, how the body is this vessel for us to express our soul. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you can touch a little bit on that and why this is something that feels so alive within you right now. Yeah. <laughs> I love this conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, even as you ask that question, I feel myself settling more into my body and more into my bones. And I think that's why it feels so important to have this kind of conversation is as a society, I think uh, most of us are kind of indoctrinated into this go, 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 um, make, 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 be separate from your body experience um, and like live in these boxes and work in these boxes, theoretical and physical, you know, and, um, and if our bodies are the way that our that we can communicate and express our soul or then we're able to actually be in connection with our higher self is the way that I hold it. Um, and one way to be in connection with that, I think, is through sensation and imagery and nonlinear ways of movement and thinking, maybe if we wanted to call it more right-brained, like pre-verbal. Um, and so, yeah, it's this experience of being embodied feels totally antithetical to what we experience in our culture of um, really top-down cognitive intellectual, let me tell you what to do, more dominating ways of being. And instead, you know, I know some folks like to call it the feminine or, um, or spiritual or whatever, but yeah, I think soulful kind of encompasses that beyond the gender binary of just like this experience of what is not measurable and what is undefended. We actually, we talk a lot guys, but um, (laughs) one of the things that you sent me just today or yesterday was this Instagram post uh, about uh, the witch wound. And it's just such a fascinating topic to me because I really truly believe we carry a lot of our experiences within our lineage. And then that is something that we have in our DNA, in our body. So whatever my great, 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 great grandmother went through, I have that, you know, I hold that and I carry that. And so it's just such a fascinating thing to think of if we have this collective consciousness And then we have this consciousness from our ancestors, the wounds that we carry that have to do with why we have this, this top down way of thinking and being and how separated from our bodies we live. And, you know, I grew up in a religious household. Pleasure was extremely frowned upon. It was something that was almost you were kind of embarrassed about it, you know? And so it was really just avoided. And so thinking of how, you know, certain sects of religion and certain people's experiences have led us to this place where we are so indoctrinated and conditioned to be separate from our bodies because it hurts to be in our bodies. It's Mm -hmm. almost like we 
we live in our head, we have this overthinking, we have this anxiety, this constant need to be, to be busy, to be numb, because it is so hard to be embodied. It's so painful to be in a body because for centuries, it has been like beaten and tortured out of us. (laughs) So it's a fascinating thing. And it's a courageous thing to facilitate that work as you're doing, and also to dare to do that work yourself, right? Because any work that we are teaching, I mean, myself as a mentor as well, it is my responsibility and my dharma to first do that work myself, right? I can't teach anything I don't know. So it's just an amazing thing to think about and consider. That was such a beautiful way of putting that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes that pressure can feel um, excruciating, like to be on the path, need to be perfect. But I think it's also just a lifelong journey. Uh, The more I'm willing to feel that pain, the more that you're willing to feel that pain and the joy and the pleasure. You know, Brene Brown talked about how the most vulnerable thing that we can actually feel is joy. Um, You know, like to be able to feel, allow ourselves to feel all those feelings and we'll be able to sit with people and and be able to contain those big feelings for them. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also think that we live in a world, at least now, that has a hard time focusing on joy as well. Because if you look at what we are at least exposed to with the media, with the news, even on Netflix, like you're constantly seeing a lot of turmoil, conflict, war, like these are the things that people are drawn to, right? And so questioning like what is it that makes us afraid to stay in joy and to be present for joy and to really like bliss out when we're there yeah the part of me that is probably a part of my dad who is really into conspiracy theories (laughs) (laughs) um you know wonders if that might harder to sell us things if we are experiencing joy and bliss right like we're in this capitalistic society and most companies profit off of our lack of self-worth so if we're in this space of healthy connection with ourselves and other people we're not very good consumers oh yes it's very true and yeah and it makes me think of what is the future then, right? If we do focus on joy, what would that look like? I think for a lot of us, it's hard to even imagine to be in a world where we are all thriving and we're all abundant. And we, I mean, that's the thing, even with our beliefs around money and around love and around even relationships, right? Like having the, these beliefs or these experiences and then you know, when I started dating my, my honey, like, I was like, there's some, there's something wrong here. Like, this doesn't feel right, because Mm -hmm. he was so kind and loving and gentle and all these things. And it was like, this feels too good to be true. This can't be real. 
and your subconscious mind starts telling you what something's wrong or something's got to go wrong or what can you do to get out of this, right? Like there's sabotage is not the best word because I think that that's not necessarily it's not an intentional thing. It's a, it's a right. subconscious thing, right? Or an unconscious yeah. thing that we do. But then again, what is it that doesn't allow us to just move forward into that place of abundance, of wealth, of unconditional love, right? It's, there's fear there. There's still a lot of programming. Totally. Yeah. I think that brings us back to the body again, too. Because um, I guess the way I hold that is, well, first we have a negativity bias, which makes sense because that's kept us safe from like apex predators, lions that want to chase us, you know, (laughs) like we need to make sure that we're safe so we can scan for all the defects and we still have that in us. And then there's the other component of if our nervous system is used to seeing relationships, like maybe our parents or our parents' parents, that was really dysregulated to our nervous system, full of chaos, then our nervous systems they, they aren't, um, you know, set to optimize necessarily to choose conscious relationships. It's what feels normal, what feels regular, what feels quote unquote safe. That's, that might not be safe, you know? So if we come from more of a dysfunctional background relationally, which is of course, very, very common, then we're going to seek out through repetition compulsion, the same kinds of experiences. And just like you're saying, like your fiance, you know, when something doesn't feel like that, it could be like, eh this isn't right. What is this feeling? Is this comfort? Get it out of here. <laughs> you know? Yuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know? Right. Like people get yeah. the ick. People yeah, get you get the literal ick feeling. Yeah. The cringe. Yeah. Like, especially if you're at your upper, upper limit of intimacy, you know, because if we are with somebody who's emotionally available and meeting us in ways that we've never been met, then we have to face the places and ask where we are not available. Yes. Yeah. And especially for a lot of us, we're doing it on our own, which is why we're moving into a new place, a new paradigm where community is essential and, and mentorship, leadership, coaching, you know, therapy, all of these resources are just so powerful. And I think to be able to ask for help. I mean, that's something that we've just recently allowed ourselves to do because for so long, there was so much shame in, in that and saying like, Hey, I need guidance. I need help. I need support. And how sad is that? That's something that is really challenging for me too. Like the receiving and asking for help. And, and it's just like, there's so much grief and sadness in that because we're all just expected to somehow pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and, um, do it on our own, but it keeps us so separate. And I think it keeps us separate from, again, like to bring in the soul too. I think it keeps us separate from that uh, higher self and deeper self too, because um, we're all in it together. Not to be that type of person, like we're all one man, but also like but we, we are, are. <laughs> different expressions. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I love that. And, and, you're right. It's really freaking sad. It really is. And a lot of it has to do with this idea that there isn't an abundance of resources, right? There's a limited amount and that scarcity mindset, which is something that has, like you said, I mean, to 
you know, be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I think I'm a a little bit of a conspiracy theorist too, but (laughs) a lot of times I'm right. So I don't know, but I feel like with, with the way that our culture is with capitalism, with the way that we commodify so many things, it does work when people have this scarcity mindset, this competitive nature, where we think that either you can have a lot or I can have a lot, but we both can't have a lot, you know, it's this, it's this mentality. And so it's, it's allowing that to shift and make room for abundance for everyone overflow for everyone. And not that, I mean, like building trust within each other, because that's the other thing is that because we have these sister wounds and these witch wounds and um, you know, I mean, there's so many wounds, dang it. There's so many of them, but like, you know, we, we always think someone's out there trying to get us and that isn't the truth, but there is this, there is this healing period that we're in, I think, where there is a lot of healing to do. And there is a sense of needing to learn discernment, learn sovereignty and learn how to have become more aware and conscious of what's going on too. So there's this very interesting path where we're learning to depend on each other, but also to think for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like interconnection or interdependence. And, and it's interesting because it's like a theme that I see throughout science, psychology, and spirituality, like Thich Nhat Hanh might say interbeing, whereas Dan Siegel would say interpersonal neurobiology, which is what we're talking about. You know, like this idea that yes, we are in our own sovereign selves and we need to learn how to self-soothe and feel into our nervous system and know what regulation feels like, which for some people, many people, they don't know really what that feels like. And then also to be in connection. Like that is so important because we make each other. And that's that can be sometimes really hard to acknowledge, but it's true. We need each other. We'll die if we don't have others. Mm, yeah. And, and I really love what you're saying about the divisiveness. I think about that so much because to me, that's, that's a trauma response to a sick culture. And it doesn't really matter who you talk to, like what political affiliation or racial background or uh, socioeconomic background. A lot of the times people have this us versus them mentality. And even in, since we're talking about the witch wound, even in like this goddess culture that I see a lot of the places, like it just actually feels like a lot of the times for me, this is going to be a little risky to say, but it feels like repackaged patriarchal religion because it feels like we're saying that toxic masculinity is the challenge and that patriarchy is the challenge and that women have all of the goodness in there. And I think it does a real disservice to say um, that all of the nurturance is from the feminine, um, when in reality, I think every being has, every single being in the world has that nurturance potential within them regardless of gender and um and I think that that can just be another way to not feel into the wholeness the inherent wholeness Mm -hmm. I think it can do a disservice to not see to I think it can do a disservice to say that like with goddess culture there isn't the god or like in in, you know the god-like culture there isn't the goddess and to move away from that kind of metaphor just really seeing anyone as the end as opposed to like wounded I love that so much. I'm glad you touched on that. I'm glad you went there because (laughs) you're right. Everybody has both. Everybody has both. We have, you know, let's say in terms of 
masculine energy and feminine energy, and we can call it different things, but I'll just call it that because I think that is a really um, easy way to illustrate what we're talking about. And, you know, I think it's really interesting too, because those are polarizing energies and we need both of those to be balanced. And somebody said this to me the other day, but it was kind of this, another quote unquote conspiracy theorist uh, said to me, the agenda is to neutralize that polarization, to basically make it one so that there isn't, you know, one and the other, so that there's just kind of this uh, neutralization. And so what you get is people that don't have uh, the power because we need both. We need the, the, the structure and the action and the goal-oriented, um, passion-oriented movement, right? Like whatever we can look at as the masculine and then we need the feminine, which is soft, intuitive, flowing, um, you know, so it's interesting because everybody has both of those energies, right? But if we focus on one and we don't have the other, then we're lost because we need both. Right. And so that's why it's so important for us to cultivate both. And like you said, to nurture the masculine. And if that's a role in our society, it's really important to support that role because it is an important role in our society. It's extremely essential. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the structure. It's the, it's the passion oriented movement and, and action. And so, I mean, there's probably a lot of nuances and a lot more deeper, you know, illustrations of what both of those mean, but they're really, really vital and they're both vital and they both have a really important role in our, in our, in our human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's complex to me because sometimes I wonder, is that framework still relevant? Mm. Um, You know, because there's so much shifting and evolving. And I wonder there are certain frameworks that got us into this place of division and pain. And sometimes we have to burn things to the ground and create anew. And sometimes we don't. And so I often wonder that about feminine and masculine is would it be actually more helpful to use different language, like linear and something? Mm. Because we all have, just like we began before you hit record, talking about how every word has different meanings to people. Mm. Feminine and masculine and gender is so loaded right now for everybody. It's just like trigger happy everywhere. And um, and I do think, I truly believe too, that there's two different natures, um, you know, but what if there are more than two? Mm. And I'm just curious about that, you know, where we're at with that. Um, and I'm, I know certain ancient traditions will have, like in tribes, some tribes will have two spirits, which are both the masculine and the feminine. They were often the shamans. Uh, mm. And so I don't know. I'm just, I'm in this place with it right now where I'm really chewing on all of it. And, mm. um, and I think that the issue that I have is similar to what you're saying right now is, 
when people get really locked into what that means, like I'm a woman, so I need to be in my softness and whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. if that works for you, wonderful. But, um, you know, I have more quote unquote masculine wounding. I know as a human, like I need to do things in order to <laughs> feel happy and in flow. And I've had a lot of shame around that in different mm-hmm. uh, groups that I've been in of saying like, that's wrong, that's bad, that's masculine, wounding, whatever. And it's like, no, that's actually bullshit. And I think that's actually a way to control me. It's just a, a different, um, a different framework, but still trying to control. Like if it's really coming from a soulful place, or let's just say like a connected place of I want to produce, I want to create. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that that needs to be called. Uh, I don't know. It's almost like calling it bad. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's so fascinating to me too because, like, like you said, it's so it's interpreted and, like you said, so loaded, which is a really good way to describe it. And when I think of feminine, right, like I always, to me, nature is always a compass for me. So when I look at nature, like I'm a bird lady, I love birds, right? I'm obsessed with birds. Yes. (laughs) And if I look at birds and the way that they move and the way that they they be there's a there's a male and a female right but the way that they interact it's not like the the female is fucking chilling and like laying (laughs) on her feathers and just like you know doing nothing Mm -hmm. they're both oriented in action they're they're when they have their nest and they build their nest they have their babies they feed their babies they raise their babies they do it together And when I think of us in those roles, I don't think of the masculine or the man, whatever, being the one who needs to do all the action and the, you know, and then the, the, the woman or the, the feminine is the one who's doing nothing or in her flow or whatever she's working because, you know, whatever her role is in the family, like she's taking action, whether that means she's mothering. I mean, mothering takes action. It takes creativity. Literally the action of becoming a mother is creative. You're creating a being. That's why nature is cruel, right? Because there has to be a cycle. There have to be, there has to be birth and there has to be death. And so I think it's the same with the energy and whether we call it masculine or feminine or linear and nonlinear, right? There have to be both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I would love to be able to have conversations with partners and for people to be able to have conversations with their partners around playing with those roles. Like that mm-hmm. feels really beautiful and and really enlivening, growth oriented to be able to say, um, you know, I'm not really feeling in touch with my initiation today. Can you take <laughs> care of things? Uh, like, do you have the availability to do that? With really, which really just sounds like having connection with yourself and being able to communicate it, having the safety to be able to do so. And then like where you're both holding the burdens of life together, Um, (laughs) uh, which I think is just really hard because so many of us are severed from our own knowing what's going on inside. Mm, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, nobody, nobody really knows, right? Like we're all guessing it's like spirituality. We have works and books and 
a Bible and, and, and all of these pieces of ancient wisdom. And yet we still don't know for sure. We're all guessing, right? We're all making it up as we go. Mm -hmm. And really that's why I think coherence is so important. Why the heart mind connection is so important. Why what you're doing is so important is because we don't just want to figure it out, figure it out. We want to figure it out because we care about the world, because we care about each other. We want to, for me, I want to raise my kids and I want them to have more answers than I did. And so that's so much of the conversation. It's not about being right or being self-righteous. It's really about, I want to leave a legacy and I really want to do the things that feel right in my heart. But how do we do that? I think it's really by doing what feels like the best choice and the best way of being, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, we don't know for sure. And I love theory so much. And, you know, and at the same time, like when you were just sharing a moment ago, right before you said coherence, that's exactly what I was thinking is that maybe the only thing we can ever do is just come back to our own hearts. And instead of trying to think about what is polarity, like, is he in his masculine? Am I in my feminine? All of this rhetoric that's happening, or are they avoidant? Am I anxious? Kind of making it way slower, slicing it thinner and speaking with eye language of just like, I am heartbroken, right? Or I am so sad by, by what you just said to me, because I have this need and I have this value of just like making it way slower instead of. I know I always go to the place of trying to figure everything out first, you know, and then, and then trying to have relationships when instead it's like, if I can just be in connection with my heart and then speak so much more natural, raw, vulnerable beauty happens between you and I and you whoever and me and me. Totally. And there's something really, really beautiful in that because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm taking responsibility for me. I'm not outsourcing my power. I'm not telling you, you have to do this or have to say this in order for me to feel a certain way or be a certain way. All I'm doing is sharing what's on my heart. And then letting the other person respond however they respond. And I think that's a really big thing in relationships is giving the other person the chance to show up how they need to or want to or however they can, but not taking responsibility for that. And also not putting pressure on them to show up a certain way so that you, you feel a certain way, which is not what I learned growing up, at least. (laughs) No, definitely not. No, it's like, I learned at least like (laughs) everything is the problem because you're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like everything you're doing is a problem and everything I'm doing is right. And why can't you see it? And let me yell at you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's your job to make me comfortable. Mm. Yes. Right. So contort or I will contort, 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 and then I'll be resentful. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then yeah. there will be pity and guilt and shame. And then it's a, it's an, it's a crazy cycle too, because unless we do the work and become more conscious and aware, we keep that cycle going. We keep that pattern going in our lineage. And the thing is, it didn't, it didn't start with my parents, right? It started way back mm-hmm. in our lineage. And this is a cycle that's been perpetually repeated over and over and over. And it's changed in some ways. I know my parents did really, they really did their best. Yeah. I mean, I think every parent does their best, right? That's their best, but you know, they really did their best and they tried not to be in many ways like their parents were. And so probably it was like a little bit of a milk down, milk down is not the right word. <laughs> I like that though, milk down. It's very primal. <laughs> I, I imagine, you know, I don't know, milking, but anyway, um, a watered down, watered down, I guess a watered down version. I guess it could be a milked down version. If you just yeah. add milk, it'll still be a less less potent uh-huh. <laughs> and more nutritious. Yeah, more nutritious. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely, right? So yeah. how can we not just be a milked down or watered down version of what our parents were? How can we take that a step further and then be really intentional and change the patterns, change the the programming and unlearn those things so that our mm-hmm. kids have a different experience. They'll still have stuff to work on, but it won't be the stuff we've had to work on. It'll be something different. Right. <laughs> we'll screw them up in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that reframe because I do really hold it as we're just taking the torch, you know, like they did do the best they can. And now we get to go even further because we have so many more tools and And I think that as a society, in a good way, we're going more, most of us are going more towards community. Yeah. So there's, there's the positive right there. Yeah. I think that will be helpful for our kids too, is being able to have more than one or two parents to attune because we have way less social interaction than what our brains need. Totally. And I feel that so deeply because the community that I'm a part of too the mothers in it have very similar value systems as I do. And I, I think that feels really good because especially, well, for me personally, I want to do homeschooling and I really want to have that one-on-one time with my kids a lot. So they're going to be exposed to my parenting a lot. So (laughs) I hope it's good because you know, it's not, it's not a lot of it on me. Right. And I think that that's something we're moving to as well is instead of these big schools where all these, all kids go, I think that structure is also shifting, which I think is a positive thing. And there's a lot more independent school programs and structures that are being created by community because we're seeing there's more desire for really intentional and unique learning styles and, and learning experiences, which I think is really exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. And I'm also thinking of how you can be nourished and nurtured during that time as the mom, you know, and moms and also stay at home dads. Like I have cousins who are in the Bay too, and they're stay at home dads. And 
same thing, you know, it's like the, the parents, like how can they be cared for too? Because I think a lot of the time they're just out there needing to be on their own, figure it out. That's not, that's not workable anymore. No. I don't think it ever was, but. No, I think you're right. And not sustainable on the long, in the long run. So I want to touch on a few things because I know we can keep talking about <laughs> all the fun stuff. But um, one of the things that we've talked about and that you talk about a lot is um, somatic consent and sexuality. So Mm -hmm. maybe we can kind of move towards that and talk a little bit about what, well, first of all, what is somatic consent? What does that mean? Um, Well, I think I start with somatic awareness and then yeah yeah so just being aware of what's happening in our bodies um which I say just as if it's easy but I honestly think um I could spend the rest of my life just being with my yes and no and knowing what that truly feels like um and I have a good friend and colleague where we're going to be doing a workshop later this year or a circle around that um because we're so divorced from knowing what a yes feels like and what a no feels like or what curiosity feels like. Um, A lot of us can be in a state of functional freeze. So we could be saying yes, but our bodies are really shut down. And so there can be more pain, less connection sexually and also just intimately too. Like sitting across from you, having a conversation that could be really scared and shut down and, and be hiding parts of myself, you know, and until I really am aware of what's happening inside. Like if I were to do it in this moment, notice that I need to take a deeper breath and that I've been clenching my shoulders a little bit and my jaw and my toes were curled, even sitting here with my good friend that I love, you know, like there's ways that I'm holding on inside and then when it comes to sexuality, sex, sexuality, intimacy, connection, a lot of people will use substances to go on first dates or mini dates. And I think that sometimes is a way to get out of that dysregulated nervous system state because first of all, there isn't the awareness that they're in that state. And then second of all, we don't know how to soothe it or get out of it if they are. So there's this kind of chemical or it doesn't have to be chemical, but whatever numbing or bypassing your experience to be in connection. But the sad part about that is that then we're not in connection with ourselves and we're not actually in connection with the other person. Um, And I think that that, you know, might be a big part of people not having authentic sexual relationships, like being able to experience pleasure or orgasm or healing from relationships because it's not honoring our connections as sacred. And that doesn't mean you can't have sex with however many people that you want to or whatever rather that this is a conscious decision coming from an embodied aware place Mm. Um, and really I think it's just slowing down yeah it really (laughs) is so much of it is slowing down much of it yeah it's just like pouring molasses over (laughs) our lives is how I often think about it yeah just like letting it be delightful but then also just like we were talking about earlier feeling the pain, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to sex and sexuality, for, regardless of gender, there will be times where that could come up 
when you're having a sexual experience or, or you think you might be of other times that were painful in the past where there was fear, like from when you were young and maybe you were teased or you were degraded or you, you know, like whatever happened, those are embodied in our flesh, in our body experiences that unless we really take the time to be with them, they're going to be there. Right. But we're going to be reacting from it. Right. Do you think it's possible to heal those parts of us or is it something we more just learn to experience differently? I wonder what, what the difference feels like. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Are they the same thing? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering about that because with core wounds, like, that if I feel like I'm not enough and I have all of the, these reasons that have made sense my entire life of how I'm not enough and like I just have this filing cabinet of them inside of myself I don't know that that ever goes away but yeah my relationship to it can change yeah um, and then, then is that healing is that being healed Do we, are we ever healed um yeah it's so interesting and I mean, I know for me, one of the things I, I suffered from, suffered from was an eating disorder, like super, super crazy eating disorder since I was in high school and got really bad. And it was pretty bad up until I want to say, like, since I met my fiance, maybe around that time. And it, I don't want to say it went away. But it hasn't, it just isn't there anymore. It's just gone. And, you know, I've asked myself, does it show up in other areas of my life? This, this wound, this experience, because right, it's the eating disorder is a symptom. It's not like, that's the, the thing, right? right it's right, it's right. a, it's a symptom of the thing. So where has the thing now gone? Is it manifesting in other ways? So it's just an interesting, it is an interesting question. And I don't know the answer because obviously there's other ways that I cope with things. And I think I cope with them in a better way. Um, But it is, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Totally. Yeah. Those compulsions and, and um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think about the things that like depression, I, I've had depression or anxiety and sometimes it will come up again. And, and I don't know, what do I want to say about that? I think, I don't know if it's the same as an disorder, but when it might be like these, these experiences of suffering, huge suffering, like life is in part suffering. And I think it's really important to recognize that that's true. And can these be opportunities for greater evolvement um like for instance well, with depression like usually when that comes up for me it's because something really big is out of mm. and it's like I need to be crushed down it doesn't feel good I'm not stoked on it in the moment it's awful but I need to be crushed down and see like what is still there and transmute that into something that's more whole and real and authentic for myself mm. going forward and anxiety can often feel like that too. Like something is wrong that I'm not looking at. Everything's going too fast. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, and with eating disorders um, or like exercising a lot, sometimes I wonder, not that this is definitely 100, but just about nourishment, accepting nourishment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or feeling, feeling, right? Because when feeling. We, we eat, for me, it was a lot of binge, binge eating. And there's this tendency to like, just want to feel to feel, but not to feel the pain. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a way of numbing or it's a way of, yeah, just, it's like, almost like you need to ground into the physical yes, because you're so, it's so painful to be in your head. Mm. Um, and I can relate so much to the depression thing because that's something I totally struggled with as well. And yeah. And when you're in it, it feels so it, there's this thing of like, why am I here again? You know? And, but there's also a theory that when something comes up, it's, it's ready to be looked at and it's ready to be, whether we want to say the word healed or shifted. And afterwards, there is always this period of time where I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but after the, I always call it a wave, like a, it feels like a wave for me, like being under. Um, but when I come up for air, there is this immense love in my heart and gratitude and relief. And just like you said, that transmutation. And so it is, it's like life is suffering. And then again, there's the polarity, there's the pendulum, it swung one way, and now it's swung the other way. And there's the like delicious, just I'm, I can breathe and yes. just the air smells so good. And the simplest things just feel so good. And so, you know, who knows why <laughs> these things happen and why God, you know, for me, at least God is part of that. And we're, I feel like we're co-creating with God. So why did we co-create that? And I don't know, but I do feel like the outcome is very delicious Mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. I'm so with you there. And, you know, you only talked about it. And I think it was also um, the hero's journey guy. But about the dark night of the soul, you know, like going into the underworld, being there and then coming back up and bringing the jewels and then being in this delight. Um, And that feels so true. And and as we're talking about it, uh, it feels so important for being a human to have those kinds of right passage into our fullness of being, like be able to feel the depths. Like I think Jung said something like our roots need to reach down to hell in order to reach up to heaven, right? Yes. But we're in when we're in these experiences of lack or or um, cultures of lack around around whatever it may be, and the culture that doesn't support this kind of self actualization, like we still have to go to work every day for ten hours or something, even though you're in it, like that's that's I feel so sad about that because here it could keep us in this adolescent state as yeah. opposed to just really breaking through and into who we are, the fullness of who we are. It's so true. It's so true. And it makes me think of this series on Netflix with Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what it was called. It was something, it was like, you know, she has her lifestyle brand or whatever, but there was an episode where they 
talked about mushrooms, ma magical mushrooms, or I don't oh, know yeah. what's the right word to say these days. But... Yeah, like psilocybin. <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah, magic psilocybin. mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they did this episode on psilocybin, and what they were saying was these indigenous communities, a lot of the time they were using these these this medicine, this plant medicine. It was really either to connect with spirit or to heal a physical ailment. But they're real for them, it was really hard to understand why people from the West would come and do this in order to heal these traumas because this was not something that they experienced. Like this idea of uh, self-actualization, but actually like having these, um, having to leave their home and go somewhere and do this plant medicine in order to um, address this thing. Because in their communities, they had support. And when that right. came up, it was immediately addressed. And it wasn't like this thing where we have this work culture where too bad something happens. It is what it is. You better yeah. clock in, honey, because time is ticking and you've got to pay your bills and you got to make sure that you, you do what you need to do. And to them, that was so, you know, I, and I'm, I'm generalizing because this is this specific culture, but for them, this was very hard to understand because that is not how they did things in their culture. It's a very unique thing to our capitalist Western culture to completely ignore well-being, to completely ignore our wounds, our traumas, our mental health, so that we can work and achieve status and achieve career and achieve basically survival for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. So it's just a fascinating thing to think about. And like you touched on, how do we, how do we slow down when it is the norm in our culture to be working eight to 12 hours a day, trying to survive until the age of 60 something when we can retire for a few good years. I mean, and then do the healing, right? Like, right. how do we, how do we make time? So it, it is a really interesting question to think about. Yeah, totally. And that's like being able to retire in the sixties. Like that's, I don't even think that's normal even. It's you know, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you go other routes, like my, both of my parents were entrepreneurs, like you're working actually more. Yeah. You know, you have the freedom and you get to do lots of different things and that's more ideal for me, but you're working a lot of the time so much more, at least historically and from what I've seen, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I think it is really important to point to the sick culture that we're in and recognize that it's not holding us in a way that's actually helpful for our wholeness. Yeah. Um, and how can we create systems of care and scaffolding of care in a different way, like through our communities? Um, how can we be there for each other? And in small ways too, like I was talking to somebody the other day about how I only want to have a child with somebody who um, we can tell each other and in our group of friends, uh, if we need to like go for a week to like go to a meditation retreat or two weeks, like you just can't do it anymore to be able to say, hey, I need other people to hold this down so I can be sane, basically, so I can be nourished. 
Yeah. And like we're and how everybody needs to have that opportunity within the system. And that's totally different from what we're talking about. Like just clocking in, clocking out, being sick at work. Like it's not, it's a different way of living and thriving that we're talking about that most people aren't able to have. It's so true. And also we have such a sick society in so many ways too, that it's hard to even outsource that care because there isn't a deep connection of trust within communities either, because there's so much discord and so many, I mean, even talking about being, you know, somatic uh, awareness. I think there's so much repressed sexuality and so much repressed um, emotion that even, you know, for me, at least having my kids go to the neighbors for them to watch my kids, like that's something I wouldn't just do because I, I would be worried about something potentially happening like those are like those bonds to have with someone who's taking care of your children have to be really really strong and that trust has to be really really deep and that's something that I think we also don't have the opportunity to create when we are again having this clock in clock out rigid time where we really don't have the opportunity to build those connections because we are too busy and we're too drained and we just, you know, and then when we are in those situations, there's drinking involved or substances involved because we're trying to, you know, like you said, like trying to feel better or relax. Right. So it's a really interesting dilemma. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. We're trying to regulate ourselves with with things outside of ourselves or lose our minds because it's so hard to be inside of our bodies, which I really get. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it I think it just continuously comes back to the relationship that we have with ourselves and our emotions. As if it's something easy and it's not, you know, like there's there's so many different emotional experiences that we're experiencing at one time. Yeah. And the language is so powerful to even know like, oh, I'm feeling anxious and sad and distraught and grief and despair and agony and joy and bliss and excitement (laughs) and love and connection. And I'm scrolling. So I'm seeing everybody else's feelings and ideas and And feeling that too. <laughs> exactly. And so it's just like this state of hyper arousal, sympathetic nervous system state all the time of just like fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. That would be the shutdown. I think a lot of us are there. Um, and then a lot of us are in sympathetic, you know? So it's like uh, continue, continuously listening to this invitation back to our bodies. Mm. I think if that were, if, if that were one thing I could continue for the rest of my life doing with myself and other people would be making rituals throughout every single day morning till night of of meeting what's inside of us and if we were to do that like if we were to see what's inside of us and feel whole and connect from that place I really imagine there would be less of what we're talking about of you know or around sexually harming children or sexually uh, going past boundaries with other people because there would be awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it's an, I mean, that's a whole other tangent. Maybe I won't even go into that, but I think it's also just really having conversations about shared values and what is important. And also because so much is taboo, right. To talk about, it means that those important things don't get talked about, which I think is really, really powerful. And you and I even have this thing too, where, where, you know, there's this, I guess, recovering people pleaser label (laughs) or whatever, but, but because you and I are so open with each other and vulnerable with each other. And there is sometimes where, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, did I say too much? You know, because there is this feeling of it's so unfamiliar to share our hearts. It's so unfamiliar to be that open and vulnerable with people because we are so performative in the way we communicate because it's the only safe way to be. And so imagining a different world where we are safe to express ourselves without having to yeah, just constantly censor yeah. who we are, right? It's a big thing to think about. It's a huge thing to think about. Yeah. Of being accepted. Mm-hmm. Really? Being yeah. accepted in all of the rawness. Yeah. And I so feel you. I have those moments too. It's interesting. I actually feel more comfortable. I don't know why I'm going to share this, but I feel more comfortable sharing vulnerable things like on the internet. Mm-hmm. than I do it's something I'm really working on than one-on-one because I feel worried I think partially of taking care of the other person or overwhelming your nervous system uh, saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. you know um and I mean I think a lot of yeah I think that's true and there is it's a different world out there on the internet too because it's like there's this I was watching this thing and it was, it was talking about how, when the answering machine became a thing, it was the Mm -hmm. first time where there was a separation between like Mm -hmm. people, right? So even on the internet, you're speaking to, Mm -hmm. let's say the story on Instagram or whatever. And then, then there's this delay and then someone else then watches the story but there isn't that it's just, it isn't really one-on-one at all. There's a little bit of safety. There's a little bit scared. of safety. Exactly. <laughs> and there's this, uh-huh. there's this, you are really on your own. And then there is, you know, the thousands of people or hundreds of people who are going to watch it, but it isn't like in the moment. And so it's, it's a, just an interesting, it's a different frequency, right? That we're yes. experiencing. Yeah. Totally. And I think, I mean, I've, I have really deep friendship from the internet, which is interesting. Yes. And I've met them in real life. And, and I wonder sometimes if it's that in in, it, more introverted people Mm. or highly sensitive people flock to that because there is that like little bit of division or safety versus like being right here together. You can feel the other person's nervousism. You have to make sure that you really trust your own boundaries. Yeah. Versus on the internet, you can just wait a little bit if you need to self-soothe or you need to do something to respond, right? It's like, I think that there's beauty from it too. Yeah. And and I hope that we can continue this conversation around consent and boundaries so we can bring it in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So when we say somatic consent, yeah, what does that mean? 
Well, somatic consent, um, I think to me, it means really listening to the, whether your body is consenting or not. Mm. Slowing down to listen to that. And then you can have somatic consent from somebody too, right? But then verbal consent is important too. But when I think of and feel into somatic consent, it's more that relationship that we have with ourselves to know what is feeling appropriate, aligned, exciting that we're drawn towards versus something that we're feeling fear about. Mm. And then surrounding ourselves with people that we can communicate that, including the fear, like, hey, I need to slow down or, oh, I'm having this memory come up or something you know and if we are putting ourselves in situations where we're having sex or in sexual experiences or even intimate whatever it doesn't have to be sex where we can't be our full selves and say wow I'm having a moment what are we doing and I don't mean that in a judgmental way but just like to get curious about if we want more wholeness if we want to be with all of ourselves then the people the people around us are really important for being able to express our consent in our inner world it's just exactly what we were were talking about a moment ago yeah it's so fascinating because that is something I think most of us don't really do (laughs) listen to our bodies and in you know human design which I don't know I mean I don't know too much about human design but I know that in my design which is manifesting generator there is something called sacral authority. Mm. It's basically that in order for me to make a decision, I'll feel it in my gut, in my sacral chakra. Mm. And so chakra, I'm trying to say it correctly these days, chakra. So that means that whenever I'm making a decision, if it feels like a yes, I'll feel it in my gut. I'll feel it in my sacral. If it's a no, I'll feel it in my sacral. And so Mm -hmm. trying to learn that has been really interesting because my trauma response is actually in my chest. So when something happens, usually something bad happens. If something feels off, my heart chakra is the one that reacts first. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a really interesting thing because our bodies are talking to us, but what is, where in our bodies are we listening and why too? Because often where we have those trauma responses, and I even think because my, you know, the eating thing too, that I had, why is it that that was my way of coping? Because when we think of the solar plexus, that's the stomach, right? And that for me, that's the power chakra. So that's where we have our personal power. And I was trying to numb and dim that. So I think it's just fascinating to think about that and also what you're feeling and what is it telling you? hundred percent. Yeah. And that that's a consistent inquiry Yeah, too, you know, like maybe that could change mm-hmm. eventually. Like when, like, I'll just speak for myself, like sometimes that anxiousness or that fear will come up in my chest, like the heart chakra with somebody. And then other times I'll feel like warmth there or, or, or I think that it's fear. And then I sit with it for a moment and I'm like, Oh, this is excitement. Mm -hmm. But it takes like that beat of really listening and waiting instead of reacting. Um, 
Yeah, which takes time. It's so interesting too, because it makes me really think about, for me, the place that I found God again is in my heart chakra. And my God wound was really deep. And so now when I connect with God, like that's where I feel the beginning. Every time that I, I pray or I connect consciously, at least that's where I feel it. And so it's just fascinating to think about focusing on that, transmuting it. And also, yeah, just being curious, getting curious about it. Well, look at the wisdom of your body. Like there's so many ancient traditions that talk about the heart and you're saying that's where you meet God. That's where I meet God too. You know, it's like, I didn't know, I didn't know that for a long time. Um, And I was one of those people who'd make fun of people, like who put their hand on their heart and take pictures, which sometimes that is performative. (laughs) So maybe that's what I was calling out and not like you. But now I'm one of those people who like really needs to put my hand on my heart and feel my heart on my hand and vice versa in order to feel connected. And also my feet. Mm. I was so dissociated for so much of my life. And it's still something that I struggle with that uh, I think that's partially where poor circulation for me comes from is I'll forget to feel my feet, which is like my also sense of connection or interconnection of being near the ground. Yes. Near the root near you know the the mycelium under near these these organisms that are a part of me and I'm part of them yeah well that's so interesting yeah and the feet are so I mean they're just fascinating too because all of the the organs the major organs connect to our feet mm-hmm. meridian so so interesting and our organs are you know when we think of feelings in Chinese uh, traditional Chinese medicine at least the organs have uh, emotions associated with them, you know, so like the kidneys and the liver and the spleen, they all have emotions, anger, fear, guilt, all of those things. So it's just, I mean, it's just fascinating to think about that too. It is really fascinating. And it's so, it feels so liberating to look at it from a holistic perspective or a functional medicine perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even though we can chat for another hour, (laughs) I'm going to ask you the questions which we ask every guest on the biohack your beauty podcast so the first question is what is your definition of beauty Mm. the first thing that comes up for me is awe yeah anytime I experience awe I think it's a beautiful enlivening experience to be struck by devotion that feels like beauty to me I'm putting my hand on my heart right now. <laughs> so good. I love it so much. And I don't think anyone's ever said that before, but I resonate with that. What is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for our listeners? Mm. Uh, anything that gets me in contact with every cell of my being right now. And for most of my life, it's yoga. Um, just being able to really, but any kind of like qigong I've been getting into lately, uh, body brushing and body oiling and stretching, but just being able to feel inside of you. I love that. Love that so much. And where can people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Tawny Lyons or my website is tawnylyons.com. Yay. Um, yay. And if you're interested in working together, I'm doing um, a workshop on conscious intimacy with a friend of mine, Diana, who's an archetypal astrologer. And it's all about intimacy and astrology and understanding ourselves through planetary aspects. And she's uh, she really focuses on goddess goddess archetype which is really we'll leave the link down okay. below for that and as well as your your instagram the gram your gram, <laughs> gram. amazing thank you so mm-hmm. much for being an amazing guest i had no doubts but i'm just really happy we got to do this and me too thank you so much for being you your delightful beautiful self that i adore adora hi <laughs> I adore you. <laughs> oh my God, that was like a dad joke. <laughs> I so <laughs> cute. <laughs>